anybody ever have bad dreams? When I have, when I have a bad dream, uh, I don't mean to put images in your mind, but when I have a bad dream, it's often one of two things. It's, it's about a snake, or it's about a crocodile. Um, I've, I've wondered, I mean, we read what we read in the scriptures, but I've wondered whether Jesus had bad dreams as he was heading toward the cross. I mean, he said four or five times, he told the disciples four or five times what was going to happen, like where it was going to go, and you read that, and I mean, you felt my emotion as I encountered it again, and it's like, oh, what you've done for us, and, and, and went willingly. I wondered if Jesus had bad dreams. I wondered, I wondered whether, whether how the disciples felt as their worst nightmare. That Sabbath Friday must have felt like their worst nightmare, right? As they, as they, this is not what we signed up for. This is not, this is not the ending we would have written for this story. This is not what any of us anticipated this this day was going to be about. I mean, it was only a few days ago we thought we were hailing the King of the Jews as he was coming into Jerusalem. Sure, there were a few people who kind of, you know, they weren't really all that excited about his coming. Okay, maybe it was more than a few. But, but surely, surely the, the tide was turning, and now, and now this. I mean, even when Jesus warned the disciples what was coming, I suspect that they thought he was just, you know, he was speaking in metaphor, like it was picture language, right? You know, or it was hyperbole. Surely this was intentional exaggeration, language that was supposed to exaggerate it, and it wouldn't be anything nearly so severe as it, as it ended up being. But the reality was that this was going to be difficult work that Jesus had come to do. I, I don't know what the nastiest jobs you ever have to do are. Anybody have to clean up after the pet in the backyard? Yeah, that's nasty, right? You know, maybe you have to help with the cleaning around the house. Or, or I mean, maybe some of you have, have dusting or vacuuming responsibilities in your home. Or, or maybe you're a little older and you're, you're, you can clean toilets, you know? I mean... Like, that's nothing on how nasty the job was that Jesus was sent by his Father to do. Um, it was a nasty job, and yet it was such a wonderful job. It was the only thing that would do. It was the only way that he could accomplish the mission was to go through the horrible and gross details that were required as part of the assignment. Because without the cross, there is no hope. Without the cross of Jesus Christ, there's no hope. And so that's what this day is about. And so this morning I just want to ask kind of a simple question, and I'll kind of ask it in four ways. But, but the simple question is this. What does your hope hang on? What's your hope hang on? I've, I've got a coat rack in my office that's not worthy of hanging an awful lot on. Um, it's one of those ones that you kind of get too much on one side, it tips over. Uh, so you just got to be kind of careful and, and, you know, on what you assign to it. It's not really worthy of hanging an awful lot on. What does your hope hang on? If you were to pin your hope, what would you, where would you pin it? If you were to nail your hope in order to secure it in place, what would you nail it to? Well, that, I'm talking about your hope, that thing that you count on, that thing that you turn to when, 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 when stuff's going on that you don't understand. 
When, when you look around at the difficulties that are present, well, what is it that you turn to that you can count on? What, what, what is it that gives you a sense of, of security in the midst of the insecurities of life, or a sense of surety in the midst of the things that are not sure at all in our world? But there's a sense in which we as followers of Jesus would say, well, our hope hangs on the cross. Um, I mean, that's where Jesus was on that first Good Friday, of course. Um, but, but the disciples would remind us the cross was the place where hope died. It, it, it's not the place where hope lived. Luke would say much the same in his gospel. He recounts after the events of Jesus' death and burial. Uh, there were a couple of guys, a couple of disciples on their way on the road to Emmaus from Jerusalem. And Jesus comes and walks with them. And they said it themselves, Luke 24, 21, they said, we had hoped that, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. But we had hoped. We had hoped that he was the, the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. So, so technically, maybe we need to say our hope hangs on what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And this morning, we're, we're going to just review four words that, that are attached to that work. Words spoken, words received, words that we hold on to as a result of what Jesus has done. These words, I want to encourage you to think of them as hooks. That, that you can genuinely hang your hope upon. That they are worthy hooks. That they can and they will sustain you. To get there, let's just kind of walk through the words from the scene of the cross. In order to get to the words that actually, these words that actually inspire and invite hope. We, we read the passage earlier. We read the account of, out of Matthew's gospel. The first hook I want to encourage you to, to, to consider is, is the hook of forgiveness. It's represented over to your right here this morning in kind of this prayer tent corner. And it's based on Jesus' words, Luke 23, verse 34. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they've done. This is what's often referred to as Jesus' first saying from the cross. And ultimately, this is really what the cross was about. It was about making a way. It was about providing forgiveness. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the olive grove that kind of looks over onto the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, in the garden, just a few hours before, Jesus prayed, or Jesus said to his disciples, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, so stay here and keep watch with me. And then going a little farther, Jesus fell on his face on the ground and prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And Jesus was referencing here the cup of God's wrath. The idea of justice demands that a guilty sentence be issued and punishment exercised for crime. And Jesus was agonizing over the fact that there was no other way. Only God could take the sin of the world upon himself and spare you and me drinking the cup of wrath. The judgment that rightly comes against your and my sin. In the words of N.T. Wright, Jesus realized in a new and devastating way that he was called to go down into the darkness deeper than anyone had ever gone before. The darkness of one who, though he was the very Son of God, would drink the cup which symbolized God's wrath against all that is evil 
all that destroys and defaces God's wonderful world and his image-bearing creatures. And thinking of this darkness, the depravity of humanity, Jesus extended forgiveness. I, I mean, to the very, those words were spoken. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Were spoken to the guys who were executing him. We're in the process of, of drawing the life out of him through their abuse of him. And Jesus offers forgiveness to them. But he offers forgiveness to any and all who will turn to him, agreeing with him concerning the sin in our lives, agreeing that, yes, that is not okay, and then trusting him to be our rescuer, to be our savior. The hook, the hook of God's forgiveness. It's a worthy place to hang your hope. And if this morning you want to or need to linger over that word of forgiveness and all that it means... The prayer tent corner over here is, is representing that word for us. You have an opportunity to, to do something physical with your confession. Literally, you're going to be invited to nail your sin to the cross. The second hook offers, uh, offered is the word surrender. It's represented here to your left, uh, kind of by the parking lot door entrance here. Jesus' obedience to the Father was constant. It was unwavering. We see it through the Gospels. We saw it again in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but yours be done. Effectively, Jesus was saying, I know that there's no other way, and I'm committed to this path. And then Judas led the soldiers into the Garden, and Peter drew his sword, and Jesus stopped him, and his words are significant. He says, do you not think I could? I cannot... Call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. In other words, Jesus is saying, Jesus had access to power that he chose not to use for his own rescue. Instead, he stayed the course on the path that would secure your rescue. Jesus had access to power that he chose not to use for his own rescue. Instead, he stayed on the course of the path that would secure your rescue. And he spoke words of surrender, again from the cross. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit, he says, Luke 23, 46. And you and I, as we imitate Jesus, we're invited to surrender too. What are the things that you're wrestling with, perhaps? What are the areas that... that Maybe God has been calling you to bring into submission to him, and it's a struggle. Maybe there are burdens that you've been carrying. What is it that you need to give up to God or to trust him with? Well, this morning, we'll invite you to maybe write those representatively onto a stone and then leave that behind as a symbol of trusting this, this burden, this, this thing this you've been wrestling with, leave it with God. And we're going to invite you to take up a little cross and, and take that with you as a symbol of what you've surrendered. Just like Jesus surrendered to the Father, I'm choosing to surrender to him myself. The hook of surrender, the hook of forgiveness. The third hook upon which we're invited to hang our hope is the word presence. 
It's represented in the corner here by the whiteboard, um, kind of over near the entrance. Presence. Jesus' sacrifice of himself for you on the cross secured your and my access to the Father and thereby his presence to us. Sin has always separated human beings from our holy God. The Jewish temple reminded everybody of this. The the veil of the temple was this enormous, super heavy curtain that that hung floor to ceiling, ceiling to floor, uh, in the temple. And that curtain served to set apart the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant had been placed. Everything that symbolized God's intimate presence was there. And the curtain emphasized the fact that sin is a barrier to God. This was the final work for Jesus to complete, to remove that barrier. He would remove the barrier between God and humanity. The gospel writers all tell us how, how in G- with Jesus' final breath, he cried out from the cross. Luke records Jesus having been quoting Psalm 31, probably reciting the psalm to himself in the midst of his agony. And then John gives us his actual final words. You know what they are? It is finished. The entire difficult work the Father had given the Son to do, all of its gory complexities had been accomplished. It was complete. And then Matthew, Mark, and Luke each record the fact that the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. Top to bottom. Top to bottom. That's no act of mankind that does that. God tore that, temp, that, that, that veil in two. Access to the presence of the Father was now available. The writer of the book of Hebrews, he explains this for us. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. So dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter God's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And then the writer goes on, he says, And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. All because it is finished. It's done. The assignment that the Father had given to the Son had been completed. Forgiveness, surrender, presence. And the cross bids us, leads us to hope. Hope is represented in the corner over here by the stairs. Jesus' assurance to the repentant thief on the cross, we didn't read that earlier, Luke 23, 43, you'll be with me in paradise. That's the assurance that's issued to the criminal who was dying beside him. Our greatest fears, our worst nightmares have been addressed by Jesus. The apostle Peter, he encourages us in light of these things, in light of the forgiveness, in light of the assurance, in in light of the presence of Jesus, the surrender, the presence, the hope, Peter encourages us to live with great expectation in light of all of this. 
1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. We'll get there on Sunday, okay? I know. Now we live with great expectation. And we have a priceless inheritance. An inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. In a few moments, I'm going to invite you to share in the Lord's table with us. And I'm going to invite you, we're going to invite you to linger in this. You've got a few options ahead of you. This next half hour or so is for you. Um, you're welcome to go, and, and we're going to have three stations around the room. You're welcome to go to one of the elders there and receive the bread and receive the cup. And then you can come back to your chair here and the worship team is going to come right now and they're going to lead us in response in song. And then you could, with the bread and the cup, right in your chair, just in your time, as you meet with Jesus, consume them in remembrance of him. Or you can do this with your family, you can do this with friends that you've come with. Or you, you might um, go and receive the bread and the cup and say, one of those words is kind of meaningful to me. One of those corners is kind of calling to me this morning. Take it, and, and maybe you want to consume it there, again, in your own time. Um, uh, you can receive it right where you, consume it right where you've received it. Um, you can just find a place in the gym that works for you. Um, this is, this is a, an opportunity for you to linger um, in the presence of Jesus with the body of Christ and reflect on what this work of Jesus has meant for you. Let me take up the Apostle Paul's prayer as my prayer for you this morning. And let me invite you to stand with me, if you would, please. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul prays this, and I pray this for you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Friends, let me remind you that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread from the Passover meal and he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And in the same manner after the meal, he took the third cup from the Passover table, the cup of redemption, and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. Take and drink in remembrance of me.